On the 27th of November 2020, Director General Gabriele Di Felice submitted a report on behalf of the Centre of Nuclear Research to a Disaster Management Committee, detailing the events leading up to the swift termination of CNRP-008 neutrino detection programme. The report attributed poor weather, equipment failure and mismanagement of supplies to the deterioration in research quality and researcher well-being. While human error bears a third of the burden in capsizing this billion-dollar programme, the report contains disproportionately scarce detail regarding its role. Their refusal to address this issue in the hearings that followed has piqued a certain morbid curiosity in me. It has been a week since I obtained a digital copy of all relevant documents and media found on site. I have compiled a thorough timeline of the event, and this is me trying to organise my thoughts. This isn't my story. <laughs> this isn't even my job. But I need to see this through. This is the only opportunity to hear firsthand from those who lived through it. This is Terminus. Previously, the second work cycle began with a sudden withdrawal of the Earth Science Division. The running of the facility is now left entirely in the hands of the five-person team, consisting of Dr. Aoife Connolly, Mr. Hamish Drummond, Dr. Simon Kang, Ms. Charlotte Rigby, and Dr. Elias Tabularis. Following a breakdown with the main detector, the resident scientists find themselves in an idle state as they wait for technical support. The narrative now continues in the light of Dr. Kang's imminent departure due to family matters down south. Having learned of his sudden travel plans, the team arranged a farewell dinner the evening before. This is the relevant section of an audio file from the common room camera that evening. And our camera, the PMTs, will catch it and then beep boop back, we have the data on our computer. No. I'm sorry, Charlotte, but you've lost me. This sounds impossible. I can't believe all these countries put millions into this project. Billions, actually. And why wouldn't they? What could be more worthwhile than unraveling the secrets of the universe? Not to mention the opportunity to find some pockets of oil reserves. Anyone for a refill? Yes, please. Don't be discouraged, Charlotte. I think you are excellent at doing public outreach. We'll get through to Dr. Connolly by the end of our time here. Any more for you, Simon? Ah, no thank you. Best not overdo it. Got a long journey tomorrow. <laughs> of course. It's a long way down to London from here. In any case, though our time was brief, I've enjoyed it nonetheless. Thank you for working so diligently with Charlotte the other day. Thanks. Has the repair team replied yet? Yes. I have just spoken to them on the phone when they disappeared just now. They told me they're sending the first team over to open up the hatch and do a proper time. It is as bad as we claim, but they'll delay back all the necessary equipment and expertise. I'd hate to be the one to rain on your parade, Elias. But with the storm gaining on us, I am not certain the repair team will be able to make the ferry over. Wait, wait. Is the ferry coming tomorrow regardless, right? We don't have the best location to dock ships on this tiny island. The weather conditions can conceal many rocky outcrops. Any attempts to dock in weather like this will put the ship at risk of severe damage, or capsizing. Ah, shit. Ayyoo, this is not good. 
Everything okay, Simon? Yes, yes. No. Actually, no. Things are not great at the moment. I... I don't suppose there's any reason not to tell you all. As I said, I'm leaving because of family matters. My wife, she, um... She was showing signs of poor health just before I came here. She convinced me to continue with this contract. Nagged me even. <laughs> but I got a phone call from my sister-in-law yesterday. Told me my wife has been hospitalized and they're now doing some checks on her. I don't know what it is, but uh, I know I need to be home. I need to be there for her and for our little girl. Well, shit. I'm sorry to hear that, Simon. We will see how the weather fares tomorrow morning. Keep your bags packed. There may be a chance the storm will let up when we're asleep. After the leaving due on the 14th of October, records from the following day tell of the storm's arrival. I cross-checked against weather reports made that month and found that they corroborate statements made in Mr Drummond's logbook entry and Dr Kang's subsequent voice notes. Indeed, there were flood warnings all across the British Isles, with the Scottish North receiving the full brunt of this Nordic storm. According to Mr Drummond's logbook, the shipping crew from House Bay had decided against travelling in this weather. As such, the supply delivery was rescheduled. No future date was specified in this entry or in Mr. Drummond's email correspondence. Dr. Kang's travel plans were delayed just the same. I found a voice note he recorded that day from Madeleine, whom we now know as Dr. Kang's sister-in-law, informing her of his return journey being at the mercy of the storm's temperament. However, like the previous voice notes, they remained in the outbox of his messaging app due to connectivity issues. In the days that followed, the other members of Team B have reported similar difficulties in establishing a stable connection. Mr Drummond, being the likeliest personnel in Team B to fix this, set about troubleshooting this communication problem. It's in one of his subsequent log entries where the first peculiarity caught my attention. But before I get to that, there are certain All things All right, that... well here's your mock, huh? Oh, uh, wait, thanks. Is that a recorder? Oh, sorry, am I interrupting something? Uh, no, not at all. I'm just, um, I'm just recording some thoughts. Oh, is this like a podcast? Oh, will we get to hear it? Maybe. It's not easy listening material. Oh, well, I look forward to it. All right, well, you enjoy your drink, and, uh, I'll see you around. <clears throat> right, sorry. Before I read another of Mr. Drummond's log entries... There's a couple of events in the timeline worth addressing first. I found another video on Miss Rigby's smartphone. It was taken four days after the storm began, while they were still cut off from their mainland supply delivery. In the video, Mr Drummond and Dr Tavularis were seen hauling crates out of a broad windowless room with a low ceiling. I learned from Miss Rigby's explanations that they were in a basement underneath the lighthouse. This is where they kept emergency supplies of non-perishables, toiletries and quality malt whiskey, judging from Dr. Tavularis' enthusiasm. From what I could see in this footage, it looks like a prepper's paradise. 
It is clear, to me at least, that the team was well equipped against unforeseen circumstances that might have cut them off from the mainland. Thinking back to the report, calling it a mismanagement of supplies sure was an easy way to write off what's about to happen, but I digress. I will play the following video for the record. It is taken from the common room camera on the 19th of October, so this would be uh, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, day 10. With the experiment put on hold and the whole team bound indoors by the storm, they sought for ways to keep themselves entertained. This evening, they began sampling some of Dr. Tavularis's find from the lighthouse basement the day before. As I've alluded to previously, the general atmosphere was warm, excitable even. Dr. Kang, who's still stranded here due to the storm, is the exception, of course. In this particular segment, Miss Charlotte Rigby is currently not in view. She is blowing the story out of proportion. We couldn't see anything. And frankly, it was quite dangerous to go in unprepared like we did. Mm. I don't want to be stitching you up from these reckless escapades. I thought you were unhappy with the lack of work around here. Oh, oh. A couple of drops later and our Hamish cracks jokes now, huh? <laughs> she got you there, old man. Okay, here we go. Let me find that HDMI cable and we'll link it with the TV. I hope this isn't some remake of the Blair Witch Project. I get motion sickness pretty bad. I will now play the relevant video segment found on Miss Rigby's laptop. When the video began recording, Miss Rigby has her camera facing forward. The passage was narrow, with barely enough room for two people to walk shoulder to shoulder. As such, Dr. Devoulouris followed from behind. probably have enough battery to get this on my phone. Video quality's probably not great in this lighting, though. <laughs> Can't smell any guano, so there's nothing living down here. What does guano smell like anyway? I just want to say for the record, I don't think this is a wise idea. Well then, for the record, you sounded pretty excited when I told you about this just now. Admit it, Elias. You're just as curious to see this. Be worth it, yeah, yeah. You won't regret it. We've not got far to go now. How did you even find this? I thought you were filming the detector in the control room. I have. I thought it'd be nice to include some clips to showcase what else is happening in the facility. So I started filming the geological site too. Once I switched on those lighting towers, the entrance is pretty obvious. What with that humongous stone out of the way. But this? I didn't expect to find these interconnecting tunnels, let alone what's on the other side. Hmm. Yes. Now that I think about it, the surveyors did mention potential subterranean systems. This must be why some members of Team A were so excited in the end of July. Though they were reticent in sharing the details. Oh, I don't think they were excited about these tunnels. There's something... Ah, uh, You'll see for yourself, because we're here. Look over there. Well, do you see it? Dust in here. What am I looking at? Shine your torch over there. Can you see it? No, there. No, not really. I can only see this Tacomatia thing. Is that how long ago? I'll try to provide some context here. Both Dr. Tavularis and Miss Rigby have reached the end of the tunnel. They were no longer in single file, as the narrow corridor expanded into a small landing. 
with a drop about two meters from where they were standing. With their handheld torches being the only light source, it's impossible to estimate the size of this new cavernous space. At an indeterminate distance beyond the drop, I can just about make out a triangular shape. It appears to be a structure of some sort, as black as its backdrop, but glossier. It's hard to tell from the grainy video, but the way it gleams, I think it has faults, or wrinkles maybe. That's as much speculation as I'm willing to make here, for now anyway. The video ends shortly after. The two agree to return to the facility. Miss Rigby was heard naming a list of equipment for a potential exploration just before the video cuts out. Mm, I couldn't see anything. I can still taste the dust in the air. <laughs> You're right. That did look dangerous. And that's why tomorrow we're going down. All geared up. Who's interested? No way. I'm not a fan of those tight spaces. Terrible choice of workplace for a claustrophobic. No, Doctor? It's not too bad. I'd go if there is an emergency, but I wouldn't be the first to jump on the spelunking bandwagon. In any case, is this a wise choice? Do you have any experience in this, Charlotte? I sure do. I'm as keen a climber as the next physicist. I think it'd be a nice afternoon activity, actually. Beats sitting around here doing nothing. Oh, no offense, Simon. Um, non taken. Hamish, are you with us? Somebody has to maintain communications with the mainland. So, no. You should, however, take one of those TTE comms for emergencies. Roger, Dodger, and so. Oh, no, don't get your hopes up with me, Charlotte. We'll see how this hangover feels in the morning first. Here is the aforementioned entry from Mr. Drummond's logbook. It is one of the three records concerning the events on the 19th of October. A late start today. After dinner last night, Elias insisted we try the single mold he retrieved from the lighthouse. Considering our current streak of bad coincidences, I commend him for sustaining the team morale with his wit and endless anecdotes. <clears throat> it, it was a pleasant evening. Even the lad Simon looked a little less hopeless by the end of it. I woke up to Pluto's final calls before he wets the carpet. The rain was no better than the other days. Today, the gales were noticeably fiercer also. The poor dog was pissing against the wind whichever direction he turned. It was clear that no ferry was coming today, be it to deliver our food supply, to fix the machine, or to bring Simon home. To be sure, I checked for their daily email that notifies another delay. They didn't come through as my computer struggled to establish a stable connection. A little poking around reveals that this is a problem across all electronic devices, both privately owned and CN or sponsored. I am hired to tend to a widespread of possible hiccups during these work cycles, but I am no electrician. Nonetheless, the art of isolating a problem is universal, be it for a plumber or an electrician. I set about looking for possible equipment failures or weather-related damages, but everything from the router to the telecommunication mast seemed to be in order. Interestingly, the TTE comms are still fully operational, so we still have mid to long-range communications, just not long enough to reach the others. Maybe it's just some form of interference from this passing storm. If that's the case, there's little we can do but sit tight and come to grips that we may have just lost contact with the mainland. I relayed this conclusion to the rest of the team. Understandably, Simon was unhappy with this, 
but the others took it mildly. At best, they were disappointed that they could not spend endless hours on their social media or whatever. I worry that they do not understand the gravity of this situation. Yes, we can still have hot showers and full meals, but so long as this issue persists, we no longer have access to external support should any emergencies arise. Given the recent turn of events, it might be better for our morale if they are distracted from this concern. Our plan of action, for the time being, remains unchanged. We continue to support ourselves with the lighthouse supplies and wait this out. When the rain clears a little, I will head over to activate the distress signal. It is now five in the afternoon. Unsurprisingly, the team had a late start from all the drinking. Well, all save Simon, who was already up and ready in the morning when I let Pluto out. After hearing about our cutoff, he retreated back to his room and has not been seen since. Aoife has commandeered one of the spare bedrooms at the end of this corridor as her new office. Says she is familiarizing herself with our medical records. The last reminds me of Faye, diligent and sharp as a tack. At around 3pm, Charlotte went down to the facility again, successfully dragging a hungover Elias with her. <laughs> That'll teach him to think twice before trying to outdrink me. General concerns were expressed by Aoife, but it is not our job to suppress Charlotte's appetite for life. I gave them both the spare TTE comms, should they find themselves in trouble. Hmm. There is one last item to report. During the hour I spent tweaking the dials in the telecom station. By chance, I glanced at the northwesterly glass panel, overlooking the solar farms and the coast beyond. I've looked down this vista many times over the last four months, but today something felt out of place. It wasn't long before this mere feeling took a more coherent form of suspicion, or once you've seen it, you'd wonder how you could have missed something so obvious. When did it happen? When did that standing stone move from the base of the slope to where it is now by the solar cell farms? More than that, who moved this over 300 feet of an incline? And what for? It has got to weigh a ton, at least, judging from the size. When I think of the current inhabitants, it seems unlikely to be in anyone's interest to do this. That aside, I do not think it is possible to move that stone pillar, even if all five of us were added together. Once the initial excitement died away, doubts began to creep in. For one, I could not see drag marks in the earth that would have been indicative of its change of place. It seems most logical to conclude but I have simply been mistaken. That would have been the end of this contradiction of facts. Yet there is one final observation that convinced me at last that there is nothing simple happening here. The monolith is asymmetric in shape. Its apex used to converge in the easterly direction. I remember this because it used to cast an irritating glare into my office when the sun was rising in the summer. Now the monolith had been rotated and the apex is pointing south and southeasterly. It's facing us now. Mm. If this is early signs of cabin fever, or worse, senility, let this entry serve as a reference point for future. There is a break in writing here, followed by a line roughly scored across the page beneath this paragraph. Here, the narrative begins anew. 9.43pm. Charlotte returned unconscious and bleeding. Dr. Connolly tended to her wounds and is taking first watch. 
I will take over next. Elias and Simon shaken, but otherwise okay. This discussion will have to wait. Must rest now. Like I said, this isn't my story. These documents contain the truth of what really happened to those involved in the CNRP-008 program, and I'm going to uncover it. This is the only opportunity to hear firsthand from those who lived through it. This is Terminus. <laughs>